Folks, you may have seen uh, on the news last night that uh, up at Maroochydore, LifePoint Baptist uh, actually burnt to the ground. Um, not, nobody knows uh, what that is. Um, um, some of you, I, I have family that go to that church. Some of you have family that go to that church. Um, but I thought it would be good if we just prayed for them this morning as they endeavour on just some of the logistical issues of meeting and gathering and insurance and building. It would be good to do that. Father, we want to thank you for the fact that we are part of a family of churches, Lord, that desire to serve you as best we can. And Father, we thank you for Life Point, Lord. We thank you for just the way that you have used them to connect into their community so well. Lord, it was only a month ago, Lord, that they had their um, Christmas lights and people coming through that. We pray, Lord, that you would be with uh, Phil and with Neil, Lord, as they endeavour to just manage and lead the church in a way that uh, keeps the, the body together. But, Lord, there's going to be so much extra work with um, uh, insurance and claims and building and thinking about um, um, how a new building would look and in some ways going back to square one. But, Lord, we pray that you would not bring... that there would not be a disheartenedness, Lord, within the body, Lord. In fact, I pray there would be faith and trust in you and an optimism, Lord, for what you can do in the future. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would just be with that church, and we pray, Lord, for your guidance and direction for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, we are continuing on in our series uh, in Psalm. We are in Psalm 98 this morning, another great psalm. And uh, we're going to have just a few little things to, uh, to take away from that today. Psalm 98 says this, Sing a new song, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love for his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp with the harp and the sound of singing, with the trumpets and the blast of, rams, of the ram's horn, shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity." This particular psalm was a psalm that was often sung at the Feast of Tabernacles in Israel's history. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was a celebration of when the Israelites came out of the desert and they were able to reform as uh, God's nation uh, in the land that is, that is Israel. And so you know the story. They were in Egypt for 400 years. They found themselves there because they went there because of a famine and, the, and stores. Found themselves in slavery for 400 years. They come out. Moses sets them through the Red Sea. And they send off the 12 into the land. And, the, and they go. And 10 go, oh, man, they're big. 
two go. Remember Caleb and Joshua? Go, no, we can do it. And because the people doubted, they ended up spending 40 years in the desert. And that whole generation, apart from Moses and Aaron and Caleb and Joshua, did not enter. Well, Moses didn't enter into the promised land. He died just before they entered in. But, but that, that Feast of Tabernacles was a, a celebration of God actually taking them out of the desert and reestablishing them as the nation of Israel. And so this song is a song of thankfulness for what God has done. Isn't it true that when God heals us or forgives us of huge things, that our thankfulness increases proportionally? Would you not say that? When we know that there are things in our life that we look at ourselves and we go, man, I wouldn't even forgive me of that, and God does, our thankfulness increases. And so this song was birthed, even though it's a song of praise and a song of jubilation, this is a song that was birthed out of the desert. And I don't know about you, but sometimes we experience desert experiences. Jesus experienced 40 days in the desert. He fasted for 40 days. The Israelites were in the desert for for, um, 40 years. And... Sometimes our experience is one of being in the desert. We, we wonder where God is. And sometimes we think that God's desire is to break us, when in fact that's not his desire. His desire isn't to break us. His desire is to heal us of our brokenness. That's why he takes us into the desert. In 500 AD, there was a, um, a fellow by the name of John of the Cross, and he coined the phrase, the dark night of the soul. Have you ever heard of that term? The dark night of the soul. He was the one who, who coined that phrase because he experienced a desert experience that caused him to reflect on who he was, what God was doing in his life, and come out the other side even more devoted to the Father. This song, this Psalm 98, is a song that reflects a people who have been forgiven much, who have experienced a desert wandering, who have experienced pain in life. And we can't say that Jesus didn't identify with that because he did. Our, those who in the faith who have gone before us identify with that because they did. And it doesn't matter whether it's Job, whether it's John of the Cross, whether it's Jesus himself, we are inclined to be more thankful when we have been forgiven much. Do you remember in Matthew 26, it's, it's actually in, in, in the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But it's towards the end of the Gospels, just before Jesus' death. There, Jesus is at Simon the leper's house. And this prostitute comes in. And she breaks an alabaster jar over him. And she anoints his feet. And she cries and she wipes. And do you remember Simon's response? Simon's response was, that could have been sold 
and generated money for the relief of the poor. And we know that Simon wasn't only thinking of the poor, he was thinking of... Sorry, Judas, I should say, said that, not Simon. Judas. Sorry, Simon. Judas said that. Judas said that, that it could have been sold. Because we know what Judas was thinking. Part of it would go to the poor, but part of it would go into my pocket as well. But But this woman anointed Jesus with that alabaster just before his death and his burial. Why did she do it? Jesus' response was pretty clear. She's been forgiven much. And this psalm reflects a people that have been forgiven much. I wonder sometimes whether we grasp that. It says in verse 1 and then into verse 2, it says... um, He has done marvelous things. You could take that word marvelous and it would actually, you could actually say miraculous. It could mean both. He's done miraculous things. The Lord has made salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations, not just to the people of Israel, but to the nations. The experience of the, these people, the, 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 the reason they're singing the song is to reflect on just how good God is. And folks, sometimes it's so easy for us to blame God for things that are not his fault. Sometimes it's so easy when things are not going well for us to get angry at God or annoyed at God. And we get into this negative feedback loop where we don't want to engage with God because we blame him, but he's actually the source of life that we need to engage with to break out of the thinking that we've got, the stinking thinking that we've got going on in our minds. And so, and so, so Veronica's ready to respond now. Um, <laughs> and so to be able to um, uh, to get out of that stinking thinking, to get out of that negative feedback loop, we actually have to remind ourselves that God is gracious, that God is miraculous, that God is above all things, in all things, through all things, and that his genuine heart is for you and I and his love for us. That's a given, what we have to take as a given in that. Because I, I, I guess over time, I've come to, to, to reflect on and to think about how much our story, how much our history influences how we engage with God. If you, if you come from a family where things were very strict, very tyrannical, um, very hard, not saying your parents didn't love you, but if it was tough like that, then sometimes our view of God is that he is just like that. When in fact he's not. He's righteous and he's just. For some of us, maybe in our lives we were allowed to get away with a lot. And so we tend to focus more on the graciousness of God rather than the justice of God. But what I've come to learn is that it's not an either-or, it's actually a both-and, that he's both of those things. I, I, I came across a video many years ago um, by a guy called Monty Roberts. Does anyone know who Monty Roberts is? Have you heard of the movie The Horse Whisperer? 
um, and it's a video. We're going we're to watch a little bit of it, and it's just four minutes, and it just shows what he does to break a horse in by being loving and caring and gracious towards the horse but still getting it to do what he wants it to do by putting the saddle on it and ultimately a rider because his father used to do it by tying them up and breaking them. Remember I said right at the very beginning, God doesn't lead us into the desert to break us. He leads us into the desert to heal us of our brokenness. And he, doesn't, he does this because he wants, to, he wants to get the best out of the horse. A horse that is breaking it, broken in by the old methods can take weeks, if not months. He can take a horse from being wild out in the field to having a rider on it in around about 40 minutes. His mum said to him one day, in a, I don't know what sort of an accent it was, whether it's southern, but she's going to be southern now, you're going to get yourself killed one day. And he hasn't yet. Let's watch the video and just think about just how, when I look at this, I just see how God um, interacts with us. I see a reflection of that in this video. Can we show that, Sue? Oh, okay, cool. There you go. Oh, my goodness. That's a pretty wild-looking place. So, I say you want to go away? That's fine. Go on away. But don't go away a little. Go away a lot. Now, we know that we want her to go both ways because the flight animal is that sort that investigates every opportunity to flee in directions whatever available. And in a round pen, you essentially have a direction left and a direction right available to you. I use this light line so that if it should go out there and hit her, it can't cause her any pain because pain would be exactly what we don't want. Now we've done both directions, and we'll take the pressure off, and we'll start thinking equus. We'll watch for this conversation, and it's coming fast. This ear closest to me is locked on. She's already brought her head off that wall twice now, wanting to come in closer. My eyes on eyes, shoulders square, Pushing away, there's licking and chewing. Very nice, very nice. We've nailed our prediction on the licking and chewing, and there's the bowing down. There's the bowing down, very nice. Super good girl. That's so demonstrative right there. That's just as you see the Mustang do it. There's the licking and chewing again. Quite good. Very good conversation. I will go passive the next round, take my left shoulder by, and then drop my eyes away from her eyes and reverse the whole procedure. There we go. I'll get myself on a 45, 45 now. 
and invite her in. Very nice. Super good girl. There is the moment of joining up. You are a good girl. So I'll tell her how nice she is for coming in here. Invite her into my chest, standing right in front. Don't look her in the eye. I've already done that, and that means go away. Now I want her to be here with me, and she's finding value. And that's join up, and now I'll walk away and attempt to get follow-up. Wonderful. Wonderful. Good follow-up. And this is the first saddle of her life. And there it is. That's the first saddle of her life. Oh, good girl. Oh, good girl. Oh, ho. My pulse rate is not up a tick. I don't care if she wants to buck. That's to be expected. It's all right. I just want to be sure this saddle will ride her. And if it's the first saddle of her life, and it is, she ought to buck with it. We belly over it first. And I just want her to carry his weight. He could jump back out of there if she decided that she wanted to take a jump. But it's amazing when you get their confidence that the joined up horse looks up at his first rider, not as an adversary, but as a partner. Very good. Okay. When I see that, I just see... Did you notice that Monty said, I'm trying to do what the Mustangs do out in the, out in the wild to connect with that horse? I just think of Christ coming down to earth and being one of us to connect with us. He knew that was the best way to do that. And that, just, that the imagery just reminds me of what God does for us and how he connects with us, how he joins with us, how he provides for us. Anyway, so, so in verse 3, Jesus says, God says he will never let go of us no matter what the circumstances Verse 3, it says this, He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. God's desire, folks, is for him to be known to others. His desire was never to be exclusively for Israel. His intention from the beginning of time was that all humanity would know about him. And so Israel took on this responsibility of being heralders, of being proclaimers, of being ambassadors for the king, not holding him close in a, in a way that was exclusive, but proclaiming him for the benefit of others. And that, that goes on for you and I today as well. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians uh, verse, uh, chapter 7, sorry, chapter 5, verse 14. He says, we are his ambassadors as if we were, as if he was making his appeal through us be reconciled to God. This is our role. This is our job. How we live our life matters. 
how we interact with others matters. When we speak up, when we stay silent, matters. And so this is a reminder. We're not doing this alone. We're not doing this alone. God walks with us every step of the way. And then there's this little passage here in verses 4 to 6. I love this bit. Um, It talks about taking the shout to the Lord all the earth, burst into jubilant song. Now, you were bursting into jubilant song this morning. I could hear, I could pick a few of you. It's not like you've got really good voices. I was picking a few of you out um, as we were singing this morning. Shout with jubilant, in jubilant song, make music to the Lord with harp. Do you know that the harp back then was as common as the guitar is today? The guitar is the most common instrument that is used. Back then it was the harp. We had a lady come and play a harp at a funeral we held here. I think it was Betty's funeral. I can't remember, but it was a funeral we held here. And they played the harp. And I looked at it and I thought, man... That is complex. I do not know how the heck you would play that. Multiple strings. Like on a guitar, the, 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 the most you can get is 12. And even if they are 12, the two together are only an octave apart. So there's, you know, the top, the, the, the low string is still an E and the one near it is still an E. But you've got these multiple strings on this harp. Or if you were like the 70s, um, if you watch some of the Eagles play... Um, uh, Don Fielder used to play a guitar that had two necks on it. Um, one was a 12-string electric and the other was a six-string and it depended which part of the song as to which particular one he played. We, can now, we now have a pedal for that. We don't have to do that anymore. But, but this is what was probably the complexity of it. But if, if, I, in, in, if I could reflect on my... I've been a Christian since I was 12... I got baptised when I was 18. I've been in Christian ministry, in full-time Christian ministry, for 25 years. This bit, this, these three verses about how to respond to the Lord in song have been probably the most controversial bit of, my, of leading churches. Certainly a lot in the early days. I can remember when I was young, there were fights over the brown and the blue book and not using the hymnal, if you remember that, if you're that old. You would remember. We, we, it, was, it, was, it was deemed um, ungodly, so you would have a pre-song segment at quarter to nine to nine o'clock from the blue book, and then we would go into church and we would have the proper songs from the hymnal after that. That's what it was like when I was a kid. And then there's, you know, discussions about all this sort of stuff. I made a joke this morning about Peter, Paul and Debbie. Those of you who are a little bit older than me know who I was referring to, don't you? Yeah. yeah. So Peter, Paul and Mary was a folk group birthed out of New York in about 1964. And some of their songs were Puff the Magic Dragon. It's been scientifically proven through research that the songs you remember are the songs from your 20s. When musicians go into retirement villages and nursing homes, they often sing songs from when the residents were 20. 
which is probably the 60s-ish now. The 50s and 60s, you know, a bit of Elvis, a bit of blue suede shoes, um, whatever. Peter, Paul and Mary, The Seekers, Johnny Cash. Um, anyway, myriad, Glenn Campbell, myriad of stuff. The Beatles, yeah. But see, this is, the, this is, this is what happens when we, when we come to church. We often connect the songs that we worshipped when we were around about 20 and we somehow think they are specially, especially godly because we like them. Folks, I've come to learn in many years of leadership that there are two, there are actually three kinds of songs. There's, there's songs that are timeless. That means there are some hymns we sing here that I think are timeless. They are songs that are they were created back by the Wesley boys back, back in whatever it was, the 1600s, 1700s. Taken from pub tunes, no less, with Christian words adapted that have become timeless because they speak of the glory of God. There are some songs that are timely. That is, they are songs that speak of the kingdom of God at a particular time because of a particular thing we're going through. And if you don't believe me, think back to when we were going through the pandemic and what was that song that was sung? Um, Blessing. Do you remember that song? I think that song was a song that most churches did. There was a YouTube clip of people all around the world singing snippets of it. It was a song that was timely because of what we were going through. And the third category is there's just some songs that are rubbish. (laughs) I'm sorry, but there are. And so what we have to watch is that we don't just say, I like this song, therefore that's godly. When we come to worship God, we sing for him. We give praise and adoration for him. And the question on our heart should be, did God enjoy the offering of worship that I brought to him this morning? That should be the question, not whether I liked it. Because quite frankly, folks, I'm getting older now, and there are some songs we sing, I go, hmm. But as I sing it, and as I dissect the words in it, I can see what God's doing through it. Personal preference? Maybe not. Is God using it? Absolutely. And folks, this is what we've got to think about because when he says, bring a jubilant song, he's not saying just bring a jubilant song because you like it. He's saying bring a jubilant song to focus on him. Now, that's what we need to do when we're together. When you're by yourself, you can listen to whatever you like. Isn't that marvellous? And Spotify does this for us fantastically. Sometimes at a, on a lunch break, I will get Spotify out and part of my reflection with God through the day is to pick up a song or two and just listen to it and reflect on it. That's all I do. Just, just kind of brings me back into alignment with his purposes for the day. And so I might listen to songs that I like. When I was growing up, the Christian songs I listened to were Phil Keaggy, 
Petra, Larry Norman, Randy Stonehill, and a lot of you are going, who the heck are these geezers? I was saying to, to my daughter, daughter Katie this week, there's a song by Phil Keege on a very unknown album called Play Through Me, and the song is called Cherish the Moment. I first heard that song when I was about 19. And do you know that God still uses that song whenever there is change in my life? God brings that song to my mind and says, because the line goes, cherish the moment, perish the thought that I can do as I intend. We may never pass this way again. We, may never, we have never been this way before. We may never pass this way again. And a song that I heard when I was 19 years old still affects me today and God uses it to bring me to a place of reflection with him. Such is the power of music. That's why the psalmist says, sing it, praise him, use your physical, the instruments that you can play, whether it's keys, whether it's guitar, whether it's trombone, whether it's drums, whatever it is, use it to give him glory, not to fulfill our own preferences. There's enough time to listen to songs that we love. When we gather together to focus on him is not that time. Are you getting the gist of what I'm saying? And I think, folks, sometimes we have to... It, it's a part of our life that I don't think in the past we have surrendered to him well enough... But I think we need to. I've had people ask me, can you tell worship leaders to pick a particular style of song? And in 25 years, I have never asked a worship leader to pick a song. The song that you get after the message, that's the one I pick or the one that Lee picks. The guy who's preaching picks the song after the message because we want to pick a song that reflects what we're saying. But I don't want to influence a worship leader to pick a song that I want or somebody else wants. I want them to reflect with God and pick a song that they believe God's using to bring the congregation on a worship journey on the Sunday morning or the Sunday evening. That's why I do it that way. And I've done it that way for 25 years. And it served me well. And I think that we need to surrender that part of our life to him. Anyway, I've banged on about that long enough. So we, we've, um, worship is about giving him that glory and that response. And, and I love this because in, in, in 7 through to 9a, it goes back to what he said in Psalm 96. The reason that we give glory to God is because we are joining with creation because creation gives glory to God. All that God has created testifies to who he is and it doesn't just testify to who he is he talks about the streams and the um the, the power of that and so it's not just about god it's the power of god we only have to look at what happens when you get a very fast flowing stream it's powerful some of god's in the surf it's powerful the wind it's powerful it's not just about these things testifying to who God is. It's about testifying to the greatness and the power of God. And then just right at the end, 9A, sorry, 9B, right at the end of verse 9, 
he says, and he, in the time, he will judge and he will put things right because he is righteous. Folks, there are many things that have happened through history that have not, where justice has not been done. But we believe, as Christians, there will come a day where the judge will bring justice. It's not our job to bring justice. In our Western vocabulary, we have the terms like justice and closure, which are fair, but my fear is they are just being, um, they are on a parallel with revenge. I remember, I don't know whether you remember back, I think it was back in 2016, there was a family looking at Christmas lights down Logan Way. And a young drunk driver skidded out of control and hit that family and killed one of their sons. I don't know whether you remember that or not. It made news because the family, the, the guy who, who was the drunk driver, just obviously felt completely mortified and broken about it. And there was a news story on the fact that the parents embraced him and forgive, forgave him, even though he'd taken their son. I don't know how you and I would go with that. But God expects us to be forgiving and not revengeful. Because ultimately, he is the judge who will bring justice in the end. Sometimes he brings it over time on earth. Sometimes it will be at the end of time. We don't know and it's not for us to question. And I know sometimes it's painful, but as believers, we are able to hand that over to God and let him deal with it. And we have to, because if we don't, folks, it will consume us, it will drive us, it will mess with your head. Trust me, I've been there. It ain't a pretty sight. We need to hand it over and give it to him. So how do we respond today? A couple of things. Are you thankful for this year? This year is about to start and kick off. I know the kids are going back to school tomorrow. Some of you are parents who are online because they haven't got many parents here going, yee-haw. Teachers are probably going, oh, no. <laughs> um, but the year is starting. Um, and um, I just want to make sure that we're in a good frame of mind to say that we are thankful for this year. Let's start this year with some good habits, some good rhythms, some good... Um, he loves this church, that bird. Sometimes he sits on the door handle through the week and he pecks at the glass and we think somebody's knocking downstairs. Anyway, he must be a very spiritual bird. Um, anyway, we, we start this year... Um, by being thankful to God for the year and for what he's going to do. Not by focusing what I, on what I can't do. I'm choosing to, to speak Philippians 4, 4 to 9, and by starting to give thankfulness for all he's done and all that he can do. Start that way. Then bring the other things to him. That's the first thing. 
The second thing is, if you feel like you're in the desert, what brokenness does God want to heal in your life this year? He doesn't want to break you. He wants to heal you. He wants to speak to you. And so I would encourage you, if you are in that place even today, whether you're here or whether you're online or whether you're watching this later, give that to God. Actually physically pray, God, you take this heaviness from me and I give it to you and heal me of that today. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for being with us today. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father God, for just the, the joy that comes from this psalm. But Lord, the, the story of, of, of restoration and healing and thankfulness that is part of the backstory of it. And God, we just want to honor you and bless you for that today. Father, for those of us who are feeling like we are in the desert at the moment, God, we ask just for your healing hand upon us. It may be that we grieve the loss of an ability or a relationship or grieve how things were. Father, would you just remind us that you are with us even in these times? Would you remind us, Lord, of your presence with us through all that we go through? And Father, we pray, Lord, too, uh, for this year that you would give us hearts of thankfulness, to be thankful to you for all that you've done and all that you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.